There we go. Great. So we're in the second week of Discover Discipleship. And we're going to be doing this series for several weeks still today as we look into a little bit deeper what does it mean to be a disciple? How should we be living? And what should we, we be doing with our life, both personally and outside of ourselves and to other people around us? We're going to be looking to such things as how do we worship God? How do we give back to God? How do we evangelize Him? What type of faith should we have from day to day? Last week we started with a question. So I want to give you just a quick summary to bring you up to speed in case you missed last week or in case maybe you're like me and you forget what you did yesterday. You forget what you ate yesterday. Well, I want to just give you a quick summary. Last week we talked about what is a disciple. And when we think of the disciples, we think a lot of the New Testament, of the apostles of Jesus Christ. We think of the 12 men that Jesus chose to follow him. And we talked a lot about that, following him. And, of course, we're correct in our thinking. But what we're also talked about is that the very concept of discipleship is not, it's not always a biblical thing. The Greek word for disciple really just means a learner. It's someone that's kind of like an apprentice. It's somebody who's being mentored by a leader, by a master. So he kind of gave this illustration that we're all being disciples of something. Maybe you're a disciple of, I use the example, I don't know if we have anybody in here of this one, but Jeet Kune Do or Karate or Bruce Lee. Maybe you're a disciple of that, of that type of master, that type of thing that you're learning for your life. Maybe you're a disciple of the art of fishing. But... We're not talking about fishing. We're not talking about karate or Jeet Kune Do. What we're talking about is the Bible. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're talking about God. So today, we're looking a little bit more into this concept of discipleship. But we're going to go a little bit different direction as week one was focused on the New Testament, which is very true and a great example for us in biblical. Well, today we're going to be talking about the Old Testament. So you're welcome to open your Bibles to Psalm 128. Verse 1, to Psalm 128, verse 1, and as you're opening your Bibles, if you'd like to put your finger in these other references or put a piece of paper, a bookmark in there, you're welcome to, or you can turn to there later. But we're going to be at Psalm 128, 1, Deuteronomy 28, 16 to 19, and then finally at the end we'll be going to Ephesians 2, 13 to 18 to be wrapping up with the New Testament. So by next week, we would have gone through what does it mean to be a disciple, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, and then we'll bring it into to today and to you and to practical application week by week on how we should be living as disciples of Jesus Christ, disciples of God. While you're turning there to Psalm 128.1, let me ask you this. If you were to name a few disciples, who would you think of? I think many of you, and I've done this before, I've gone to a chalkboard, I've gone to a dry erase board, and people start naming off names like Peter, James, John, Andrew, and we somewhat did this last week as I ended with you. And do you think of you as being a disciple of Jesus Christ? But today we're taking a little bit further. If I had this dry erase board, this chalkboard up here, would you write down people's names like Moses or David or Daniel, or Joseph as being disciples of God. Because I believe that the very concept of discipleship has its roots in the Old Testament. Psalm 128, verse 1, that you have open there in front of you. Let's read this. It says this, 
Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You see, the call to be a disciple in the Old Testament is often placed in this context or this phrase, walking in God's ways. You may have heard this verse many times over. You may have heard scripture like this. You may have heard people talking about walking with God, which is what we're talking about today, walking with God. And when you hear these words, I think you need to be honest and, and really understand this. Walking with God is very similar to what we talked about last week, which was follow God. Follow me, following Jesus. Jesus told them to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the disciples left everything and they followed after him. But we think of the New Testament. I transitioned to make you think of you. How are you being disciples of Christ? But here we can see from the very beginning, from the Old Testament, we have blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. I believe that you could agree with me. Walking with God is another way of following him. According to the Old Testament, a relationship with God was dictated, though, by strict adherence to God's commands, including the Ten Commandments, but not just, li not just limited to the Ten Commandments, but the Jewish law of the day, including sacrifices. But I want to read this once more as we think about how it really applies to our life, or what it means, what it means to us, and what it meant in that day as well. Because you do need to be careful of that. We don't want to take it out of its context. But here's this. Here's why I think this says. Want a blessed life? Fear the Lord and walk in his ways. And that's exactly what that verse says. But we're just spinning it around. Psalm 128 verse 1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his way. So do you want to bless life? We need to fear the Lord. We need to walk in his ways. We need to be a disciple of his as we walk in him, as we follow him, and as we obey his commands for our life. This passage in Psalms tells us that the person who fears God and walks in his ways will be blessed. Now, if you read the word blessed and you look into the Greek and the Hebrew form of it, the word blessed can literally mean happy. That changes a lot of scripture for us. And you do have to look to each one and see what it literally means. But a lot of scriptures read the word blessed actually can also stand for the word happy. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19, though, takes, a little bit, takes us a little bit deeper into what it means to be a disciple. So if you like, let's turn to Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19. Now I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19, we read this. This day, this day the Lord your God commands you to do, to do these statutes and rules... You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. 
And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor, high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 29, 13, and we've preached on that, we've talked about that before, because so many people go to Jeremiah 29, 11, which is the Lord has a plan for you. But Jeremiah 29, 13 says that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And here in Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19, now that all have turned there, let me read that once more because there's so many strong statements here. This day the Lord your God commands you. For you that might not have noticed that, let me just state that again. The Lord your God commands you to do these statutes in rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart, with all your soul. You have declared today, so now we're talking about what those people were saying to God. You have declared today that the Lord is your God. And that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today. So we got two different things here. We got what the people are declaring today and what the Lord is declaring today. And what God is commanding them to do as they're making these declarations to him. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. As he has promised you... And that you are, to, you are to keep all his commandments, all of his commandments. And that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. And that you shall be people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now we got a little bit different of an understanding of what it meant to be a disciple from the Old Testament to the New. And what they're held accountable to do is they had to hold true to all of his commandments all of his rules, all of his laws. Moses spoke these words to a new generation of Israelites before they entered the promised land. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because their ancestors were not willing to fully trust and have faith in God to lead them into the new land. Now Moses is reminding this new generation of what was required to be followers of God. Moses was trying to remind them of what's happened in the past and now what they needed to do in the future as they walked into this new land and as they really declared to God that their life was his and that they would follow his commands. As we look to this scripture, I think there's something we first need to understand. In order to walk with God, in order to walk in his ways, we need to make a covenant. And that's what these people today were doing or in this scripture. They're making a covenant. We have an example of a covenant or an agreement or a contract here. We need to talk about what is a covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. In this case, the two parties here were God and the Israelites. There's often something you're getting in return for a covenant, an agreement, or a contract. So maybe you think about your own life. You make a contract, an agreement, a covenant when you buy a house from somebody. Or when you're getting a car and you get a new car loan. And if you can buy it in cash, that's the best way to do it. But many of us, we get a car loan. We get a house loan. Or maybe it's a gentleman's agreement with somebody else. Generally, you're doing that for a reason. And here, I think we can see this. 
we can see want to be treasured by God, keep his commandments, and walk in his ways. We can see a few things that happen to us as we walk in the ways of God, as we're walking with him, we're walking with God. So let's expound on these verses. Let's just read through a little bit and see what we're talking about. Verse 16 stands as the conditions of this loan, the conditions of this covenant that they're making. As we read, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them all with all your heart and with all your soul. So as you have a covenant, as you have a contract, as you have an agreement for something, you generally have this contract that's wrote up and you have all these, these details that you need to read through. These were the details for being one of his disciples, for walking in his ways. What was God asking the Israelites to do here? I believe it to be quite obvious, but God was asking them for complete obedience. To do his commands, and not just a few of them, not just this or that, not just what they chose to do, but all of them. And God asked for more than just obedience. For one, God wants careful obedience. He meant for every letter of the law to be followed. And if they would miss one letter of the law, they would be making sacrifices for, their, for not obeying his law in completeness. But more than that, secondly, he wanted them to follow with their heart and soul engaged. As they, he tells them, you have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you'll walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments. The Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. But when? When are we his treasured possession? It tells us, you shall therefore be careful to do them, the laws, with all your heart and with all your soul. But I think there's more. I think God wants you, just like God wanted them, to also be motivated by your love and your awe of him. Yes, we need to follow all of God's commands. Just like the Israelites were to follow all of his commands. But we shouldn't be doing it just because it's what it says. We should also be doing it because we have such a relationship with God that we're in all of him, we're in love with him, we're so amazed by what he's done and what he's doing that we feel like there's nothing more we want to do than to live according to his ways. Verse 17 to 18, a rephrasing of what both parties had agreed to. The Israelites agreed to walk in his ways and that they would obey God, keeping his decrees, his commands, and his laws. What did God agree to do? He agreed to keep the Israelites as his chosen people, unique among all nations. This is powerful here as I read through this. I said, I just read, the Lord has declared today that you are people for his treasured possession. These people, the Israelites, are his treasured possession. Not just a possession that he puts on a shelf and forgets about, as many of us may have, or we throw in a junk drawer. I think many of us, maybe it's not just me, we have that drawer in our kitchen or our laundry room, that junk drawer that everything gathers up in. We are his treasured possession. Maybe you have a trophy case at home of trophies that you've won throughout life, or maybe it's for your kids. 
trophies that they've won from the CBC uh, cars. Lost a word. Grand Prix, thank you. The Grand Prix. Or maybe it's fishing trophies or hunting trophies on your wall. Here we're told that the Israelites were people for his treasured possessions. And we're also his treasured possessions as we're children of his. He will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made. And that you shall be people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now he is talking specifically of the Israelites here as they're going into their new land. And that the Israelites would be held above these, these other nations. There would be his treasured possession. But the rephrasing I think is important for a few reasons. Because when we think about our own life, when we think about that contract that's being drawn up, that covenant, that agreement, we notice never are these contracts just one or two sentences, right? They set up the terms, they tell you what's going to happen, then generally there's a lot of fine print below there that rephrases it all. They want to make sure that there is no misunderstanding. Anybody in here ever gone to sign a contract to buy a house? There's a lot of papers, a lot of paperwork. They don't just say it once, they say it many times to make sure that the, everybody understands exactly what's going to happen. And that's what's happening here. The Israelites had great gain, great benefits to gain if they followed after God. They would be held as a treasured possession. God was calling to himself disciples, followers, people who would be identified with him. But the Old Testament disciple was a little bit different. Because an Old Testament disciple was a person who respected and feared God and kept the laws, including sacrifices. A little bit different from today. They would make sacrifices for sin, for rites of purifications. They would follow the Ten Commandments and more. But then we move on forward to the New Testament. To Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 18. And you're welcome to... Flip over to where you have Mark there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 18. I'm going to read this to you. As we move on from this Old Testament covenant to the new covenant, the new agreement, the new contract, and how it's been changed just a little bit. Verse 13 of Ephesians 2, we read this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were once far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. My next point is this. Want peace? Live a life walking with God. Want peace? Live a life walking with God. The Apostle Paul wrote these words around 1,500 years after the passages from Deuteronomy were written. What we were just in about the covenant from the Old Testament. Between the writing of Deuteronomy and Ephesians, something happened that forever altered how humankind would relate 
to God. And what was this life-changing experience? Jesus. I would hope that you all would know that in here today, but if you don't, please talk to me or talk to somebody in here today about how Jesus has changed our lives, Jesus has changed their lives, Jesus has changed lives for anyone for the future who places their trust in him, follows after him, walks with him. Jesus was sent to earth to live and die an atoning death, making a right standing with God possible apart from the law of the sacrifices. He saves us from the consequences of our sin, restoring a right relationship with God. You see, here's the thing. Everybody, I want you to see this. We were never meant to walk alone. We were always meant to be walking with God. From the very beginning of creation, God created us to have a relationship with him and to walk with him. And in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve. What a thought. We were never meant to walk alone. We were always meant to be walking with God. There are countless verses about this throughout the entire Bible. Just go home today and Google search walking with God Bible verses and you'll see many verses. But here, let's capture Paul's important words on the dramatic new way of relating to God that Jesus ushered in. Verse 13 says that we've been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. As you read, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus did something truly powerful to bridge the gap between man and God. Truly life-changing. He was crucified on a cross as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. He was that one final sacrifice for us. No more would we need to make sacrifices daily or whenever we had a rite of passage or a sin and we needed to make all these traditional passed-down sacrifices. We had this one blemishless, perfect sacrifices which would atone for sins forevermore for us. Verses 14 to 15 mention a wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, which says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Jesus removes the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, and this makes a huge impact on advancing the discussion of what it means to be a disciple, because God was making a relationship with him available for all people, not just for the Jews, not just for the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the people who kept every law, but Jesus is available for all people. We were never meant to walk alone. We were always meant to walk with God. But we left him at the beginning, didn't we? We sinned. We, we didn't follow his commands. Verse 18 says that all people come to God the same way now. Through faith in God, through his son Jesus Christ. But notice that there is some wording that seems to be missing in Paul's description of the New Testament believer compared to the Old Testament believer. There is no mention of the strict adherence to the law to be qualified to follow him. The only requirement now is to believe in Jesus and confess him as Lord. 
Now, of course, God still cares very much about you obeying his law and his commands. God still wants followers to walk in his way. And as Jesus tells, tells us all, to follow after him. We should leave everything behind and follow him. But we're not saved by our works. We're saved by our faith. There should still be evidence of our faith, though. There should be evidence of a changed life. God has always been about the business of identifying those who are his people by having a relationship with him. This idea, if you will, is part of what makes up the concept of discipleship. God has always wanted this close relationship with us, but our sin just stood in the way. Now, through Jesus Christ atoning for our sins, that sin doesn't have to stand in the way. We just need to give it to him. Walk with him. Last week we started where most people go with this concept of discipleship. We started with the New Testament in you. Today we went back in time to expand our idea of discipleship, to truly discover discipleship and realize that it's not something new. It's not something just to the human day and age of Jesus Christ walking this earth and sacrificing himself. But if we truly discover discipleship, I believe it started at creation. It started in the Old Testament when we were commanded to walk in his ways, obey his commands, obey his laws. The next few weeks, we're going to dive in deeper now to the practical application steps of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being a disciple of God. How do we have faith? How do we worship him? How do we leave everything behind and give to him what he deserves? But for now, I want to leave you with some thoughts to consider, as I normally do. While some expressions of discipleship change with Jesus' work on the cross, the heart of being a follower of God has always been the same. It begins and ends in the very nature of God. He created us, and he desires to have a relationship with us. He wants us to be followers or disciples. This begins with believing in Jesus as God's Son, allowing him to lead from inside our hearts and souls. And then it moves to walking in his ways and not the ways of the world. Henry Ford, it's always interesting to see some of these quotes from people of the world. Henry Ford said, those who walk with God always reach their destination. Dwight L. Moody, if I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. We must be walking with God. The distinction in how Christ advanced and deepened the concept of discipleship is an important one. You see, Christ changed the definition of a disciple from one who is a learner to one who also leaves everything behind and follows him in his ways. But I think this is also what God wanted from the very beginning. It's just Jesus had to come to renew that covenant, to bring it back to life, to fix everything. But we also need to see... That the key phrase is walking with God. Walking with God. I went too many slides here. If you can go back to the last slide. God asks the same from us today as he asked people thousands of years ago. He wants, us to look, he wants to look back and see us putting our feet where his feet have been. Going places that he's leading us. Conducting ourselves on the journey in the same way he would conduct himself. Thank you. I wrote it up here on the slide like this. God asks the same from us today that he asks 
of his people thousands of years ago. He wants us to be walking with him. Walk with God. Walk with God. Now, the expansion on this, and this was a quote I found, said, He wants to look back and see us putting our feet where his feet have been, going places that he's leading us, conducting ourselves on the journey in the same way he would conduct himself. Walking with God. This is simply living a life that identifies as God's. So in closing, here's the example, here's the, the little exercise we're going to do to evaluate how our lives are already reflecting a commitment to walk in God's ways. If you're taking notes today, I want you to get out your pen, your pencil. I want you to start making a list on your sheet of paper. Let's consider how we spend our daily lives living. Not living just for God or with God, but just what do you do on a daily basis? You get up in the morning, right? Maybe you want to write down you get up, you brush your teeth, maybe you turn on the morning news, you can write down some of those little details. But the big details are what matters. This may include categories such as you go to work every day, you go to stores and you shop, you go to school, some of you go to school, you go home. You do certain activities, maybe it's sports, volleyball, football, maybe it's coaching, maybe it's farming. You go to the gym, you go to church, etc. What type of things do you do from a day-to-day basis? But not just that. Think about what do you do every week in your life. Maybe there's some things that you don't do every day, but at least once a week you do this. Write it down. Maybe you think once a month you do this. What are some activities that you do with your life? And let's begin to think about these examples. How do we walk with God in these activities? In other words, what are some behaviors or attitudes that we exhibit that identify ourselves as gods and walking in his ways? When you're at school, can people tell you're walking with God? As you're at work, can they tell that you're walking with God? With God, can they see God walking in front of you or beside you or with you? As you're in Shattuck's grocery store or Shattuck's hardware store, Shattuck's gas station, we got a lot of Shattuck's, I think they own half this city. Can they see you walking with God? See, here's what I think I think we have a lot of opportunity to show the world that we are followers of God, that we're walking with Him. We just listed several examples, and if you're taking notes and coming up with your own ideas, you may have came up with many others. But what are we doing to show people that we're not just followers of Jesus, but we're walking in all of his ways, we're living according to his commands, and we're doing what he tells us is the way to a right life and to a right relationship with him. To show people that we have hope, to show people that we have life, to show people that we're not walking alone because we were never meant to walk alone. What are we doing with our life? When are we doing it? How often do we think to do it? What are we doing to show them the Jesus that we have, to show them the love of God? I want you to consider areas in your own lives where you're strong in your identification with God and areas where you're weak. This doesn't happen without a heart change. Jesus told his disciples, his apostles, his twelve, to leave everything behind and follow him. 
Maybe we're still holding on to something. This week, I want you to dwell on this concept. I don't tell you to dwell on something very often because generally we're told not to dwell on something. It's not good for us. But I want you to have an increased awareness of what your words, actions, and attitudes say about your level of commitment to being identified as a disciple. What are your words, your actions, your attitudes saying about you? Do your words, do your actions, do your attitudes show that you're walking with God in your life? That you're following after him? That you're truly walking with God? Let us pray. Bow your heads, please. Lord, we thank you for this day once again and the, the blessing we have to be able to walk with you. If we profess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of our, our lives and that we believe that he died and rose again for us to take away our sins, we can not only have hope in eternal life, but we can walk with you. We can know that we're never alone. Thank you for renewing, for fixing our problem with sin. And we still have a problem with sin, but we know that Jesus continues to die for us each and every single day as he saves us. And as you look down upon us, unworthy people, you see Jesus Christ upon us in our lives who is worthy. And you call us children of God. You call us your children and you, you love us, Lord. Thank you for all you do today and all you continue to do. And may we think this week about how we might live and walk with you so that everybody around us sees it through our actions, through our attitudes, through our words. In your holy and powerful